The Lifestylist, episode 183, featuring... I'm Luke Story, a former celebrity fashion stylist and founder of School of Style. For the past 20 years, I've been relentlessly dedicated to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of health and spirituality. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. All right, here's the deal, guys. I've been into the health and wellness scene for 22 plus years now. I've seen a lot of different supplements come and go, a lot of different devices and modalities come and go. One that I found last year in 2017, I feel is never going to go, and that's called red light therapy or photobiomodulation. You can go back to episode number 169 of the Lifestylist Podcast and learn all about it, where I interview the founders of Juve not just about the Juve products that I'm going to tell you about right now, but just about this therapy altogether. Uh, There are thousands of clinical studies on red light therapy. So if you're serious about your health, it's hard to ignore that research and hard science. This is not woo-woo stuff. I'm into some woo-woo stuff. Nothing wrong with that, but this is seriously effective treatment. Okay, so whether you're trying to improve your skin, reduce joint pain, get better sleep, or really improve your testosterone production, which has been one of the major benefits for me, then red light therapy with the Juve is going to be a major investment in your health. Now, I use my Juve religiously, but I really miss it when I travel. I mean, the thing's like five feet tall or something, so it sits here in my office when I'm gone, and I really miss it. (laughs) I want to hug my Juve. So that's why I'm super pumped about their new handheld device. It's called the Juve Go, and it gives you all the same Juve red light power, but it fits in the palm of your hand, so you can take it anywhere. And you can also kind of use it, you know, spot use it, like in certain areas. Like for guys, I'll just give you a little hint. If you're trying to raise your testosterone, you use it down in the nether regions. I know it sounds weird, but that's what a lot of the science is actually about. So to check out the Juve units, whether it's the modular ones like I have or the handheld, all you have to do is head over to juve.com forward slash Luke. That's J-O-O-V-V.com forward slash Luke. And once you're over there, you're going to see a special bonus the Juve team is uh, hooking you up with if you're a listener. So just use the code Luke at checkout and you're going to get a free gift. So that's juve.com forward slash Luke and use the code Luke at checkout. One of the coolest things about my job as the host of the Lifestylist podcast is always being on the cutting edge and not only finding out the best products when it comes to health, but the best companies that are making those products. Now, I'm someone that's been into bee products for a really long time. And if you heard episode 175 with Carly Stein, you got to hear me totally geek out on my obsession with bees and bee products. If you haven't heard that one, by the way, go back and check it out. That's 175. But what I didn't know about bee products is A, how many different products bees actually make in a hive, what their different uses are in terms of health support, And also that there are just a lot of companies that are making products that are very inferior. Either they're weak or they're not tested for pesticides and things like that. So the whole like bee product game, I thought I was pretty on top of and I got schooled in that episode. And now I'm going back and kind of re-educating myself and I'm using all of the products from Beekeepers Naturals. So they've got a few that I'm really into. There's the Propolis, which is kind of like the medicine of the hive. 
Then you've got, of course, the bee pollen, which is the food that's the protein. It's actually the highest protein food on the planet. And it's also got free-forming amino acids. So it's great for pre-workout, for muscle recovery. And then, of course, the raw honey, which is amazing. And I thought I knew something about honey. It's got live enzymes. You know, if you take a little bit before you go to bed, it helps you sleep. There's some things like that. But it turns out honey is a legit superfood if you get it from the right company. It's full of antioxidants and it's just insanely powerful. Then you've got royal jelly. Now, royal jelly is the chronic stuff. That's the food that's exclusively made for the queen bee. So the queen bee lives about 40 times longer than the average worker bee. So put the math together there and you'll know that royal jelly is some badass stuff. And if you want to try all of these products that the bees make in one, I'm going to recommend Bee Powered by Beekeepers Naturals. That's one of my favorites. Now, honestly, I go through it a little too fast. It comes in a jar and I just like pound that stuff. I probably weigh OD on it. You don't need to do it like I do it. You can savor it and make it last. That's an amazing product and a really great way for you to get an introduction into all of the bee products in one jar. So go to beekeepersnaturals.com. Use the code LIFESTYLIST and save 15%. That's beekeepersnaturals.com and the code is LIFESTYLIST. You know what today is, ladies and gentlemen? Today is January 1st, 2019. Welcome to our special New Year's Day show. I've been saving this episode for a while. I've had it in the can and been trying to find the right date to release it. And uh, as I went through the calendar, I thought, you know what? Today is the day that Paul Selig is going to arrive on the Lifestylist podcast. So it brings me much joy and gratitude to present one of the most profound conversations I've ever had in my life, let alone one that was recorded and shared with you. Who is our guest? Well, Paul Selig is considered to be one of the foremost spiritual channels working today. He's the author of I Am the Word and the Book of Mastery. He's described as a medium for the living, and Paul has the unique ability to step into and become the people his clients ask about, often taking on their personalities and even physical characteristics as he hears them telepathically. Sounds crazy, I know, but it is legit. And uh, let me tell you what, I experienced it firsthand. Now, I was introduced to Paul by my friend Aubrey Marcus, who made a special point to suggest Paul as a guest on the Lifestylist podcast. And Aubrey's had a million amazing people on. He's never recommended anyone. But when I was out there doing his podcast, actually in Austin, he said, dude, you know, Paul Selig? I said, no. He goes, oh my God, you're tripping. You need to get this guy on your show. And then I kind of forgot about it. I listened to the episode uh, that he had done and I was like, wow, homie is next level. But then forgot about it. And Aubrey emailed me and said, hey, remember, let's get him on your show. And so I went to New York and recorded it. And uh, the rest is, as we say, history. So you are going to uh, really enjoy this one. But before we do that, I just want to kind of set up the new year. And uh, if you want to go back and listen to the Christmas episode that came out um, on the 25th last Tuesday, I gave a whole recap and a whole view into 2019. But just to uh, kind of reiterate a little bit of that here and to set this episode up, I just want to say that 2018 was the best year of my life by far. And I say that every New Year's because literally at least for the past 22 years, every year has gotten better and better. Even though some of those years have been a bitch, they've been very challenging. I've learned a lot, grown a lot. Um, 2018 being no exception, but I have to say that my overall level of uh, satisfaction and joy keeps increasing. So even though this was one of the most challenging years in many ways, 
um, due to the vast number of profound changes that have taken place in my inner life experience, it's also just one of the most fulfilling and I feel the most on purpose at this point in my life at 48 years old. I know exactly why I'm on the planet. And that, my friends, is a huge gift. And a lot of why I'm here has to do with this podcast. And I also want to take a moment of gratitude to celebrate the fact that I hit my goal of uh, getting to 2 million downloads by the end of the year, which I just scraped in at the end of uh, December there. And I have you to thank for that. So my goal, if we're going to set some intentions or goals for 2019, is to get my podcast from 25,000 downloads a week, where it currently sits, to 100,000 a week. Not that big of a stretch, really, but it's going to require the help from you, my listeners. So if you're a new listener and you like this episode, please share it with a couple of friends or loved ones as you're listening to it. The apps make it really easy to do that now. It used to be hard to share podcasts. You'd have to like screen grab it. You couldn't get the link. It was a huge pain in the ass. Now, at least in the iTunes app, they've made it a lot easier. I mean, the, uh, what do you call it? iPhone app, you know, the podcast app, the Apple app. So please, listeners, continue to share the show and let's get it back up to uh, that that goal number of 100,000 per week. All right, so... I think December has really been, in particular, quite a wild ride due to a number of different factors. But I just had my world turn completely upside down in the best way by Tony Robbins at his Date with Destiny event earlier this month in Florida, only to come home and dive right into the Neil Strauss biohacking intensive in LA, where I did not one, not two, not three, but four talks and recorded two podcast episodes, one of them with Neil Strauss on conscious parenting, which will be dropping soon. You want to look out for that. It was a great conversation. I also did one with Jack Cruz and uh, we talked about the nightmare known as 5G and how to protect yourself from EMFs and all kinds of stuff like that. So you can look forward to those. But anyway, December has been nonstop, just real nutty. Now, as we ring in the new year, my main goal is to kind of get grounded and put 2018 behind me as I spend January planning for the rest of the year. So normally I do that in December. I kind of take the month off and you know get all my ducks in a row for the coming year. But December was a lot of work, <laughs> inner work and outer work, and didn't really get a lot of vacation or fun time in. So uh, I'll be doing my planning in January. Now, thankfully, I spent the last two days with Byron Katie doing her New Year's mental cleanse here in L.A., which basically entails doing the work, which is her modality for transformation for three days straight. Very transformative and very much needed as I move into the new year. Just in my personal life, I really needed to get grounded right now. And, uh, and uh, Byron Katie has not disappointed. Now, although I didn't get much of a holiday vacation, I do have a very special trip planned later this month to Rhythmia in Costa Rica. Well, I'll be uh, experiencing some ayahuasca happenings and embarking on yet another vision quest of sorts. And in order to prepare myself for this upcoming trip, I'm making a commitment to myself that for the next 30 days, I will go without coffee and health supplements, which might sound easy to some, but I'm straight up addicted to both of those things. So this is all part of a protocol that I'm doing based on the work of Dr. Jack Cruz and my recent conversations with him, which essentially includes watching the sunrise every morning, which I've been doing for a couple of weeks, followed by a juve red light session, then a cold shower, and then the rest of my routine. I've really spent the past year and a half actually just purifying my soul, my heart, my spirit in preparation for what I feel is a really big heart opening this year and a a deeper move into spirit. And now is the time to uh, purify my body so I can really maximize my experience at Rhythmia. 
That said, you can also expect a complete series of podcasts about my plant medicine journey. When I go to Costa Rica, I'll be doing a play-by-play sort of serial episode show or a couple shows in a similar style to my Utah stem cell procedure episode, which I did earlier this year. So I'm looking forward to not only having that experience, but documenting it in a creative way and sharing that with you. So as I said, if you want a complete recap of 2018 and a deeper look into what I'm up to in 2019, including my plans for this show, please go back to next week's solo episode, The High Love Experience Luke Live at Rama, New York City, which is a talk I presented in that episode. And I've got to say, it was one of the most meaningful public presentations I've ever given. So if you'd like to get a sense of what my spiritual experience and messages all about, please go back and give that episode a listen. Okay, on to the task at hand. Let's get into this damn episode because I'm excited about this one. Now, I recorded this insanely profound conversation with Paul Selig at the Assemblage in New York City a couple months ago, the day of the Whitma event that I participated in. So it was really a lit environment there and I felt so privileged to get to sit down with Paul And what's interesting about this one is that you're not only going to get an interview with our guest, but also his channeled guides from some other dimension of reality. And, you know, I'm a pretty woo-woo guy. I'm quite new agey, now agey, as we call it these days. Um, So I'm open-minded about such things, but I'm also, um, I don't know, skeptical is not the right word, but I have some level of discernment and perhaps prudence with such things. But I got to say sitting down and having a conversation with Paul and his guides at different points was a very moving experience uh, to the point, I think, if I'm not mistaken, I was brought to tears at a couple moments. So you might hear my mic go very quiet in this episode and you'll know why when we get there. But this is definitely unlike any other podcast I've ever recorded or any conversation I've had for that matter. And it was just also one of the most meaningful little Uh, moments in time of uh, 2018, for sure, if not my whole life. Very, very special human being doing great stuff. So here's what we discuss in this episode. The first moment Paul realized something or someone was speaking through him, dealing with the friends and family who thought he was crazy as he made this discovery about himself. The system for realizing your divine self that Paul's guides have revealed to us striving to be as awake as you can be in your day-to-day life. Paul's physical experience of channeling and what that's like for him subjectively. Why fixing is a small self-concept and why change is what it's all about. How Paul's guides react to different questions and intentions. And also the fact that I had to edit some of my questions. You know, I didn't know what I'd be able to ask Paul. And when I walked in, he goes, let me see the list, you know. And so I went over the stuff and he's like, nope, not that, not that. Because I wanted to ask all these really crazy supernatural questions about aliens and all this stuff. He's like, that's not my deal. I don't do that. So it's kind of fun to go through the actual interview process. And, you know, I'd have my list in front of me. I thought, "Eh, I'm going to leave that one out. But I got some pretty juicy ones in, um, such as this one. If there is a loving God in the universe, why is there so much evil, war, torture, and pain? And listen, my friends, if you don't listen to any of this podcast except that question and answer, uh, I'm not going to tell you where it is because I don't have the time st- the timestamp on it, but uh, you definitely want to hear that answer because it's very uh, moving and profound. Then I posed the question, do spirits evolve up through the plant and animal kingdoms before becoming human? Very interesting answer there too. Is the influence of astrology real? 
and why Paul's guides won't answer every question and what they say instead. And then we get a live channeling session focusing really selfishly, admittedly, on my own experiences in the past with drug abuse and whether or not it would be advisable, at least according to the guides, for me to experiment with plant medicines. And based on what I told you earlier that I'm moving forward with that, you can guess what the guides had to say. Actually, it's kind of a neutral answer, but it was part of uh, forming my decision there. And then um, some advice uh, in terms of what I can expect to uh, experience in my love life in the near future and what perhaps has blocked those experiences in the past. And then whether or not the guides thought it was a good idea for yours truly to become a papa. So I did get a little personal there in the interview. Sometimes I can't resist asking questions just for me, you know. I mean, we all have a little narcissism in us, don't we? So that's what's up in this episode. And more than anything, I just want to emphasize how grateful I am to you for helping me reach my goal of 2 million downloads in 2018. And I promise to bring you the very best of podcasting for the duration of this year in 2019. I encourage you to subscribe to the show, share it with friends. And uh, don't forget that if you want to explore any of the different biohacking and health technologies and supplements and things like that that I get down with, you can always find those at lukestory.com forward slash store. I get a lot of private messages from people. Hey, where can I find this? Where can I find that? And I'm always like, I've made it really easy. Go to lukestory.com forward slash store. And what I've done in the store is simply just link out. I don't sell anything. I just link out to everything that I use and enjoy and believe in including our advertisers and all of that stuff. So um, that's something I'm really going to be turning up the heat on uh, this year in 2019. And speaking of heat, don't forget to tune into next week's episode all about saunas, infrared saunas with our guest Lauren Berlingeri, another one I recorded in New York City, uh, home of Higher Dose, which is a really exclusive uh, sauna club, essentially, I guess you could call it, or chain of uh, sauna boutiques or spas that Lauren co-owns. So those of you that hear me talking about saunas and you're like, I don't know, what do they do? Why? What's the best one? All that stuff. That's going to be dropped next Tuesday. So I encourage you to uh, tune in then. And I think that's it, my friends. We are ready now to dive into one of the most interesting podcasts I've ever heard or participated in in my life. And one that I think is truly going to set you up for a successful and rich and meaningful a uh, year in 2019 and one in which you and I can work on becoming more aligned with our spirits with the help of Mr. Paul Selleck and his guides. Enjoy the episode. Paul Selleck, we're officially live on the Lifestylist Podcast. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Oh man, I'm so excited for this. When I was in Austin uh, last April... I was hanging out with Aubrey Marcus and I did his show and he did my show. Uh-huh. And, you know, out of all the hundreds of amazing guests he's had that he could tell me about, be excited about, share with me, uh, recommend that I interview, you were the guy. <laughs> he didn't talk about anyone else. And he's had some really fascinating, brilliant people on his show. Mm-hmm. He's like, you know, Paul Selling? I said, no. He said, dude, you got to listen to this episode I did. This man is fantastic. Mm-hmm. And I think he was enthusiastic because he knows I'm on a deep spiritual mission. And uh, that's what I'm really most interested in at the core, even though my show covers a number of different things. And so then I went and listened to the episode and I was like, oh my God, I got to get this guy on. So mm-hmm. if Aubrey, if you ever hear this, thank you for the introduction and uh, and thank you for joining me. 
I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Yeah. And um, we're here, you guys, recording at The Assemblage in New York City. It's a beautiful co-working space. I don't know what neighborhood we're in. It's on 25th Street. It's fantastic. But I, I've been through the ringer because I was going to record on my balcony at my hotel. I have like a really nice terrace, and that's why I got it. But it's too damn cold. And so I've been running around with my gear. So thank you for your patience in getting this whole thing going today. Um, it's mildly embarrassing, but I'm learning how to get over it. So thank you for rolling with the punches. Of course. Okay, so before we get started, Paul... What are you most excited about in your life right now? What, what's happening for you that's lighting you up and, and uh, making you happy to wake up in the morning? I don't know how to answer that right now. I mean, I'm, I'm excited about a lot of things. There's a book coming out in a couple of weeks and another one coming out in August. And I'm sort of flummoxed by the amount of information coming through me that makes it into these books. So I'm always sort of trying to keep my balance these days, sort of not quite knowing, you know, what's next and how this is playing out and what the teachings are, are going to continue to be. So I'm quite excited by my life in some ways, you know, this is sort of unexpected that this all happened. I mean, I've been doing this work for many, many years, but I was doing it very quietly. I was a college teacher. And it was only when the guides started dictating books through me in about 2009 that my work began to be to be known. Um, so I'm on an adventure. So, you know, it's just ongoing at this point. Yeah, I, I find that interesting about uh, what you do, which of course we'll get into, is uh -huh. that it seems as though you discovered something, and we'll get to the origin story of discovering mm -hmm. this ability that you have mm -hmm. uh, to channel, but that you're sort of along for the ride is the sense that I get. Yeah. It's not like it's not like you set this intention, like, okay, I'm going to become a spiritual teacher, an author, do workshops. It's not like you had a business model in mind, per se, is the sense I get. Not at all, and I don't, I don't trust that as a way of working with this stuff. I mean, my job is to show up. And I continue to show up. And as I continue to show up, you know, the people show up that are the right people for that moment. And the books show up without my knowing what they're going to be. And that's just my trajectory. You know, that's how right. it's been. So I have to trust that. It's nothing that one can really premeditate. Right. Yeah. Um, God, there's so many things I want to talk to you about. So so you went to Yale. You uh -huh. worked at NYU for 20, 25 years. I did, yeah. And... Now here you are. So what was the moment like in 1987 when you first realized that, huh, wow, there's uh, someone talking to me that's not me and that is not my subconscious? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I wasn't channeling in 87. What happened in 87 was I sort of hit a real wall, you know, in my life. I was a year out of Yale. I was you know, working as a playwright. My work was being produced already in, you know, New York and London. And I was, you know, I, I had a list of things that I thought I had to do in my life to make me special or important or any of those things. And I think, you know, it was a flashy list and in retrospect, a somewhat superficial list. And I got the whole list and I wasn't okay. You know, that's really what happened. So I was working on an opera uh, for the Minnesota Opera Company. They had this sort of 
I don't know, sort of eclectic experimental wing and they hired me to do something and I was sort of bottoming out in a, the Gopher Campus Motor Lodge in St. Paul with a, a giant gopher on a spit out my window. And, you know, <laughs> the Gideons leave these books in the drawer and that's really what happened. You know, I was raised an atheist. But I just, it's a prayer for people in crisis. And I said, okay, I couldn't name the crisis that I was in, but I knew I was in one. And I said it. And three days later, I heard a voice telling me to get my act together. And that was the first voice. And, you know, when I say I hear a voice, sometimes people think it's a voice in the room, you know, and it's not. It's a, it's a voice in one's own head that blocks out all other thoughts. And it's always a surprise. And it's always unexpected in terms of content. So the funny thing was that day I listened to the voice and my life did change. I did take action. So I went from living in a world where I would have sort of laughed at people who believed that there might be something like God or spirit or something like that. And I was, you know, I had platinum blonde hair. It was the Billy Idol days, you know. <laughs> I was, you I, know. I try to picture that right now. Those, those of you watching on YouTube, uh, you'll, you know. Yeah, I had hair and it was yeah. platinum blonde, you know. Where were you living at that time? I was living actually at that moment not far from here. Oh, okay. I was actually living in a friend's guest room who had this sort of wonderful old falling apart townhouse who had been my my drinking buddy. And, um, you know, I went up to the roof of that house on the night of this event, people were calling the harmonic convergence, and I heard people were going to be waking up. And I thought, well, you know, if there is a God, why wouldn't it want you to wake up? So I went up and I kind of asked, and something happened. And whether what happened was sort of self-induced by my hyperventilator, I have no idea what it was, because I didn't have any context for anything. You know, I didn't have religious baggage, thankfully. Right. And I didn't know what the new agey stuff was, although it was present and I was curious about it. But I had an experience of energy moving through my body. And then I started to see little lights around people after that. So for me, having something palpable happen was important for me, given my skepticism and my, you know, sort of, I would say cynicism in some ways about things spiritual. But it wasn't until I studied a form of energy healing, which happened a few years later, as I just a year, maybe a couple of years later, because I was having these experiences and not having context for them. Somebody suggested I go to a healer, and I did, and then I studied. I didn't know I was allowed to do that, but so they didn't throw what, me out of class. Uh, what modality was that? It was a modality called Marielle, which is not taught anymore. There huh. was one woman who was quite brilliant who taught it. Um, and it was the first offshoot, I think, of Reiki. She was one of the uh, first, uh, the first, the 13 original Reiki masters in the U.S. under this woman named Madame Takata, but it wasn't Reiki. It was this other, I don't know, modality that seemed to be rooted in the divine feminine. So, you know, it was the height of the AIDS epidemic, and I got a call to volunteer at the center on Lower Manhattan because they were popping up because there was nothing else to do for anybody because people were just dying all over. And I found that when my, I had my hands on people's bodies, I started to hear things for them. 
And it was simple. I mean, if I had my hand on your chest and I heard the name Anthony, and I don't, I'm not thinking of any Anthony, and I say, who's Anthony? You might say, my lover, my father, my, my son, my dog, you know. And as I kept getting the very, and that would move energy. And so I was really interested. You see, information for me, even though I'm known now as a channel, has always been secondary to the experience of feeling the energy in a palpable way. Mm, so interesting. I would... I'd hear Anthony and then all of a sudden, you know, your heart would release all this stuff and I'd go, whoa, because you could feel it come out of the body. So I liked the fact that the modality that I was working with and the, you know, the energy that was present was so present that you couldn't fake it, you couldn't pretend. Somebody could be carrying and crying on and they weren't releasing anything. So I'm going, okay, so they're having their their experience of having a healing by crying and carrying on. There's nothing wrong with that, but they weren't really accessing vibration. They weren't releasing the the stuff that wanted to move. At least that was my experience at the time. And I got so intrigued by this that I started doing a little group that met in my apartment. And it met for about 18 years. I took a couple of years off to go off and sort of have a relationship. And I just got fed up with new agey stuff in general. I didn't want anything to do with it for a little while. But I, I did this faithfully for about 18 years. And sometimes three people would show up, sometimes 15 or 20. And they'd put 10 bucks in a basket and that's what I did. And I did it not because I was looking to be known for this. I was actually enjoying my work in, in academia and teaching college. But because it was an opportunity to sit in this energy that was sort of so extraordinary. Now, the guides I work with started coming through the very first time I gathered people in my apartment. I started to hear things. And I, in retrospect, was being trained you know, or I was in some form of apprenticeship to this work that has actually taken a long time. People think, well, who's this guy who just showed up? I mean, I've been doing this since I was, you know, in my late 20s, early 30s, and I'm in my mid-50s now. So it's been a while. But for me, it was the collective experience of being in the energy that was astonishing because you couldn't fake it. I love that. I mean, if the guides would say, okay, everybody, we're going to put a hand on everybody's forehead, and the whole room goes bang, you know, like Beetlejuice, you know, whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. that was exciting to me because right? we were all sharing this. And the people that were coming to the group were really interesting people. I mean, they were, you know, writers and social workers. And, you know, I mean, it was sort of a, a grown up group. It wasn't sort of what's the next new agey thing. You know? Right. And what happened finally was the guides began teaching. They actually began teaching when I quit smoking, and that took a long time. That was my, my last big thing. And I was a four pack a day guy until about Damn. 2000. I loved it. I was yeah, really good at me it. Too. <laughs> I was a good smoker. <laughs> good at smoking. I like, I like that concept. Yeah, I'm, I'm right yeah. there with you. But when I quit, they began to lecture through me. And I just knew I was talking more. And once I became willing to record the uh, the sessions, the, the transmissions that were coming through um, and transcribe them, they began to do the books. You know, that was my job and my willingness, but it took a long time. So that's a long story to how I began channeling. Yeah. Um, but that's what it is as of today. It's There's a number of different things I want to touch on there. One, I find it fascinating that this was bestowed upon you as someone who is an atheist and not someone who was 
ardently seeking and striving to find some answer in new mm-hmm. age or spirituality and like looking and looking and knocking on a million doors and then finally, oh, aha, somebody's now giving me answers, but you're just kind of innocently minding your own business and you were chosen. I find that interesting. I don't see it that way. Oh, okay, and I, really? I think, yeah, I think that gets into ego and the idea of specialness, which oh, okay. I don't, okay. I'm not comfortable with. I think I probably, you know, if I'm to believe what they've said is I've been prepared for this for, you know, quite some time prior to this incarnation. So, Got I mean, it. in some ways, my wiring may have already been sort of in support of this, you know, how my energy system works. I mean, I don't know that. That's just what I've heard. Yeah. But I think what happened for me, I think two things happened for me. In retrospect, back in, if this were to happen today, I'm sure I would have been medicated for the whole thing. You know what I mean? (laughs) But in 1987, that wasn't happening in quite the same way. And I was working, I wasn't trying to channel. I wasn't trying to get a career, you know? The information that I was getting was always, and still is, frankly, always in support of other people. It's not about me. You know, um, I'll get information for myself sometimes in the moment that I'm sitting in, you know, about the moment I'm sitting in. Like, is this a good time? Not wise, I might hear, because the guides are very helpful with me about not taking actions based in fear, which they say gets you more fear. So I think what was helpful is I didn't come with baggage and I came to this at a time, when I look back at the time that I came into this stuff, I mean, in retrospect, you know, I was sort of newly sober. My friends were dying all around me. I was out of school for the first time. I didn't know. I mean, I was a kind of a perfect storm for great potential change. The other thing that happened, and I think about this sometimes, and it happened in my 30s, I had an experience, I had a couple of experiences of, I don't know what you would want to call it sometimes, you know, I would say Christ consciousness or something like that. Some sense of being at one with something much larger. And I remember this time because I was so poor, you know, I was, I remember like having 35 cents to my name, you know, and being on New York and knowing that I was fine and everybody was where they were supposed to be, everybody. It was shocking, and I wanted it to last forever. Not the being broke down to 35 cents, but the sense of there's this incredible thing happening that I'm getting to witness. And once I had that experience, a few years later, I said, and I I said this sincerely in retrospect, it was like, you know, if this is real, if what I'm beginning to understand of this is real, I'm willing to go all the way with it. And what the guides, I think, have done is provide a system for people like me or who I was to go on this journey towards, for lack of a better word, you might call it realization. I'm not going to use the word enlightenment because for some reason the guides I work with seem to make a distinction between realization and enlightenment. To be realized is to be expressed as your true self, as the divine self that is truly who you are. And this other thing seems to be some idea that exists on of who we get to be when we know everything. And I don't right. know that that's, that's how they're teaching it because we're still having this sort of extraordinary human experience of, 
you know, what the hell is all this and how did I end up here? I appreciate that, uh, that, um, differentiation there because it is in a sense, um, the enlightenment concept is to many people, myself included at certain stages, a thing where you're going to get to in the future and then you have no more problems and you just, (laughs) you just hang out and nothing bothers you and everything goes your way and it's just smooth, which to me would, to me it would be more about like, that's maybe what happens when you're not incarnated anymore and you go into some other dimension, then maybe you're free of the trappings of human life. But I like the idea of, of a general unfolding because in my subjective experience, that's what my journey has been. It's yeah. just piecemeal, just little awakening by little awakening over the course of mm-hmm. a long time yeah. to eventually arrive at a place where I find that I suffer less than I used to. Yeah. It's very simple. Yeah. (laughs) It's like a little less suffering every day with the application of tried and true principles. I agree. You know, so I appreciate that perspective. Uh, One other thing I want to jump back to is that you mentioned that this first uh, event happened at the Harmonic Convergence. Yeah, yeah. And I, f- I, don't, I don't exactly know what that is, but I kind of remember hearing about it. And it, it has a little bit of a, a point of interest for me because one of my all-time favorite teachers was a man named Dr. David R. Hawkins, who's famous for writing a book called Power Versus Force and a number of other books. And uh, one of the things he did is he would calibrate using kinesiology levels of consciousness Mm -hmm. of people, places, things, books, Mm -hmm. teachers. Uh, He was friends with Bill Wilson, the Uh co-founder of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh He's a really old, old man. But he um, would track through the course of time the evolution of human consciousness. And at the time of the harmonic convergence, there was a huge boost. Oh, really? Yeah, a huge uh, rising of consciousness uh-huh. in, in general of humanity. And he, would, he noted that, but in an arbitrary sort of way, he said it, he doesn't know that it was necessarily caused by that. But using his yeah. techniques, he was able to find that there was an uplifting Mm-hmm. of mankind at that time. That's, I didn't know that. That's interesting. And, you know, I was so new to any of this. I mean, now I'm a little jaded and every other Tuesday somebody's saying, oh, there's some portal opening up and everything's going to get enlightened <laughs> and oh my God. And I just like look at my watch. Yeah. It's like, okay, well, you know, I've been through this. I remember it was like the twelve twelve thing or something. Yeah, was yeah, it? yeah. You know, or whenever yeah. it was that everybody was supposed to 2012. like. 2012. Yeah. The Mayan I had calendar a, and all I that. I had a workshop in Berkeley that weekend and people said, how can you plan a workshop? Everybody's going to be elsewhere. I said, no, they're not. You know, it's, it's another opportunity, if it's anything else, to lift, to, to wake up a bit more. But at the time, and this was the nice thing about my naivete at the time, I heard there's an event happening. People are going to be waking up. I went, okay, that's great. Why not? And right. maybe that's why everything went up the scale because everybody thought, well, maybe this can be. You know, the guides I work with claim, they say nothing can be claimed until it's a potential, until it's a possibility. And nobody told me that I might be able to wake up a bit. And then I heard it. I said, okay, maybe so. Maybe so. And I'm not pretending that I'm awake. I'm as awake as I can be at this moment in my life. But I don't, you know, I always make a point of saying, you know, I'm not a spiritual teacher and I'm really not a guru. And I'm this guy with this this odd ability that shows up often in spite of himself to do this work. When you first started to have these experiences, was there any point at which you thought you were losing it or friends and family around you started to judge or reject you because... 
you know, this phenomenon that's that's seemingly rare uh, started to happen? Well, I mean, there were a couple of things. You know, when I first got into this stuff, given who I had been, you know, the sort of rock and roll playwright kid, the people didn't know what to make of it. And they thought, well, maybe this is a phase, you know. And, you know, I mean, it, it wasn't like I'd, you know... I just, I just had suddenly was having this other experience of what may, maybe underlying maybe the world was because I certainly didn't know, and it felt very fragile at the time. This new possible faith that there was something more going on. So that was the beginning of it. Once I began to be known for this work, people either had to adjust, and their old friends that I don't hear from anymore, you know, and I understand that. And, you know, I've watched myself channel. I don't like to, you know, and it's not pretty, you know, in some ways. It's a sort of clumsy, weird way of, of bringing through information. I mean, once an interviewer said, Paul, why don't you channel the right way? And my guides came through <laughs> laughing and they said, as if there is a right way. It's, it's already crazy. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I've had to accept that. And adjust, but the fact that we're having this conversation now in a, in a public forum, and people perhaps are going, well, maybe so, that's an enormous step, you know. When you read the books that come through me, <clears throat> you don't hear me whispering and repeating and the mile a minute and the weird accent that comes through. You don't hear those things. And, you know, there's six books that are in print as of next week or so, and then another one waiting. And they're all the unedited transcripts of channeling sessions. I mean, I don't write them. I don't go back and correct them. The only thing that was cut out of the last book was the guides actually told somebody in the front row of a workshop to be quiet so that they could continue. And they said, and we will take this. This will not be in the book. So I honored that <laughs> because it had nothing to do with the lecture. Right. And I picked right up with the lecture that they were delivering. And the last wow. two books were delivered entirely in front of audiences. I mean, it's just, there's, 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 it's documented. It's this strange, strange phenomena. And I go, well, I, you know, I don't think I'm capable of that as a small self, you know. I don't have the attention span for that to, you know, what I do have the attention span to do is sit in a chair and close my eyes and take dictation, which is my job. Yeah, that's so fascinating. You know, I just, I love things like this, uh, because in, in my own journey, I've had, I think, you know, not to the degree that you are, but I have had experiences where, especially within the confines of, of recovery work, where mm -hmm. I'm, you know, working with someone who's come along and they need help. And mm -hmm. I've managed to figure out some things that they haven't at that point. And I'll find myself sharing things that I don't know that I know. Yeah, you know, in yeah. that sort of sense, and and I get to be almost the witness and student of what's being said. Yeah. Now I don't hear a voice per se. I just find myself saying things that are valuable, have some high degree of wisdom that mm -hmm. I might not actually yeah. be able to even recollect. Or if you put me on the spot and said, "Hey, tell me the answer to this question or that question," I mean, I don't know. I'm just figuring it out. Mm -hmm. But when there's another person involved, it's almost as if they're eliciting that message from the third party, call it God or greater intelligence, consciousness, mm -hmm. whatever. It's, yeah. a, it's a really interesting thing how spirit chooses to use certain people. There's different ways people, I mean, this is what I think, you know, I'm 
primarily clear audience and clear sentient. Those are clear hearing, clear feeling. And the empathic or psychic work that I do is about feeling. If I step into you and I feel what it's like to be you, I can often read that and interpret that and be in discussion with you about that. What you're doing, clear, you know, clear audience is just hearing. You're describing clear cognizance, which is clear knowing. Ah. And knowing, I think, is the great one. To be in your knowing, the guides I work with are all about that. To be in your knowing, to claim your true knowing. They say to know something is to realize it. To realize something or someone is to truly know them. And that there are different ways of knowing. There are different levels of, uh, of experience of that. To know someone as an aspect of the divine, for lack of a better word, regardless of what they look like or how they present or whether or not they're, they're doing what you want them to, is to really realize them. And in that realization, you're lifting them. You know, I mean, you've heard probably things like, you know, it's a big one in like 12-step land, you know, let us love you until you can learn to love yourself. It's a powerful, powerful thing for someone who doesn't believe that they're worthy of love to be become willing to receive that and that requires the one holding the other in witness to to know them as worthy and it's far easier to do this sometimes with other people than it is for God damn right but you know oh my god it's the same stuff That's, you're so right you know i i find an increasing um ability to really just take people as they come and just yeah. unconditionally love them even in their faults even people that i don't like at all yeah. you know yeah. uh but with myself, it is so much harder to accept one's shortcomings, mistakes made. Yeah. Uh, and I think there's a propensity for someone who's striving to improve themselves and to have um, you know, an awakening uh, that you're always looking at the next thing to work on. You know, yeah. I find this with myself. It's very difficult for me to look back and see the 10 piles of coal that I've shoveled. I'm just looking at the one in front of me like, yeah. oh, okay. I need to stop being self-deprecating or whatever, you know, the, the more subtle character defect or, or hurdle that I'm working through seems to be all I see because mm -hmm. I, I'm not in the habit of giving myself credit for the progress that's been made. Yeah. And I think it's one of those things, too. It's much easier to see in someone else when they evolve and change rapidly. You, Oh, my mm -hmm. God, you're a different person mm -hmm. in the course of a few months or a couple of years. And to them, they're like, what? I feel like I'm still struggling with the same old stuff. Yeah, It's interesting how that works. Uh, in terms of in terms of the guides, um, have they ever revealed to you where they come from in terms of time and space? Are they have they been incarnated? Where they've 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 referred to it. They haven't. I think they're probably going to get into this in the next text because they've sort of threatened to. And I say threatened because I'm resistant to some of this information. And the reason is is that once you get into sort of naming people. If you get into the new agey stuff, sometimes you'll see people say, hi, I'm the channel for Merlin the Magician and Archangel Michael and Mother Mary. And it's 27 years <laughs> And it becomes kind of a beauty pageant of, of ascended <laughs> masters and, and master teachers. Oh, well put. And I'm not saying that they're not doing that. I just think that what ends up happening then sometimes is we get stuck in the narrative attached to the names and then the ego or the importance of it. Do you know what I mean? And, and sure. that's a danger. So, you know, the guides in the third, third or fourth book, I think it was, the fourth book, they finally sort of said, if you want to call us something, you may call us this. And they used a name that I'd been hearing for many years. Um, and I understand that. 
Um, but I call them the guides. And the reason they're called the guides is my ex. When my ex found out that I could do this and had a captive psychic in the house, you say, ask the guides this, ask the guides that. That's why they're called the guides. And they didn't name themselves that. I don't think they really could care less what they're called. I think that they're well beyond that. They say that, you know, some of them have been, it's a collective. They say some of them have been in form, in body, some have not. They say that this is an old teaching, that they've been bringing it through for a very long time in different iterations at different times in history. They say that the teaching that they're bringing through is actually foundational to what has later become or later became religions. But what we see now of as world religion is often in distortion from the original intent or the truth of the teaching because religions have been caught up in, you know, politics and money and, you know, and all of these other things. So, you know, the names, they're saying say it, you know, the name that they've used when they bring through the name is Melchizedek, but that's also a teaching lineage, you know, it's a priesthood is how I understand it. Um, the one time, I mean, there's one guy that I see on occasion, and if I meditated more regularly, I'd probably see him every day, but I'm lazy. And he shows up in, in this very specific way and quite striking, actually, you know, and he's got these blue, blue eyes, you know, and when I'm channeling very often, and there's things that happens when I'm channeling where the guys will work with everybody in the workshop, you know, 100 people, one after the other, after the other, and I've been told my eyes run bright blue, so he's really stepping into me, and as you can see, I don't have blue eyes, I've got hazel, hazel eyes, so... You know, I know what I know, and I know the level that I'm comfortable being an inquiry with. Um, the challenge with me channeling is that I'm the channel. If you were the channel, and I could just say, okay, good. I, I'll either take what he's saying and believe it or not. You know, that's fine. But I'm in this sort of strange relationship with this information. I'm the radio. You know, I'm not the guides. I'm the radio for broadcast that comes through me but is not me, but I am party too because my equipment is being used to send the message through. Do you ever find it uh, fatiguing, you know, when you're working with a group of people yeah. and these energies oh, yeah. and all of this messages are coming from? I mean, do oh, you ever yeah. just be, are you ever exhausted at the yeah, end of a session? Often. But I'm weird. I mean, I don't know. I actually don't know other channels. I have, other, I have many friends that I think are very gifted mediums and psychics. But I, I'm the only one I know that works this way. And that isn't to say that there are other people working. I just don't watch them, you know, and I make a point of not watching them because then I compare and I, you know, I get into my ego or, you know, it's just not, I want to keep my transmission pure is my feeling. Um, but I, when I work, I'm often working for five hours in a day, I'm channeling for five hours. I'm going to be at the Esalen Institute in December channeling about five hours a day for 14 days straight. And it's brutal sometimes. I mean, I am fascinated by it. The guides work well with my system. But if I channel too much, it's like having a bad case of sunburn. Like I can hear I'm highly noise sensitive anyway. You know, it's, it's a rough thing. If you drop a spoon in the next room, I may jump. 
And when I've been channeling a lot, my nerves are so wide open that because that's I believe it's my central nervous system that gets used. I mean, my whole body is used when I'm channeling. I'm gesturing. There's faces. There's all this stuff happening. It's very physical for me, and always has been. It's not some polite rendering. It's this turkey jerky thing. But you know, it's not a bad tired. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. it's like. When it's, when it's gone well, it's like having been swimming in the ocean for a long time, and that's a good feeling. And, you know, other times it can be invigorating, you know, depending on how fluid I am. If I'm working with a large group of people and there is real resistance, and the, does, I don't encounter it the way that I used to. When I was first starting, people were like, who the hell is this guy and is this for real? And I totally get that. But that was about overcoming or rising above the resistance in the room to be able to to be in expression at that level. And, you know, when there is resistance, I find it harder. It's like anything else. It's kind of, imagine yeah. trying to teach somebody to fry an egg who doesn't want to learn to cook. You know, it's a pain in the ass and you're exhausted by the end. You want to bang the frying pan down. It's not that I'm resistant, but there's not the exchange of energy being received that allows for the lifting to happen. I've, I relate to that part a lot, uh, doing a fair amount of public speaking myself. And, uh-huh. you, you know, you stand up in front of the room or sit in front of the room and it's like, it's hard to kind of turn on the energy. And, and I've learned that oftentimes it is because there, there is a lot of, as you say, resistance yeah. in the audience. And you're getting that sort of feedback loop where there's not a flow of receptivity yeah. and open-mindedness and humility mm-hmm. on part of the yeah. audience or, or you know, at least a portion of them. That's interesting. Um, so can you then uh, say you have a personal problem in your life and you're mm-hmm. like, you know, you have an issue with relationship or a career decision or something mm-hmm. like that. Can you sort of just turn on the faucet of answers for like, hey, what should I do about this? Or does Mm -hmm. it just randomly come to you? No, people I think are under the mistaken assumption that I've got this pipeline into all the information I could ever need. And I'm still waiting for a partner. I mean, I have all these things like where, you know, how come, why? And I have all these questions. When I'm invested in the answer to something, it's much more challenging to bring it through. If I'm completely neutral, I could read about your personal life because I don't have an investment in the outcome. And essentially, I'm a clean, clear channel. And I can step into you and have that experience and know that it's not mine. I'm given direction in the moment as I need it. Like once in a while, they'll tell me something like, oh, there's something really important happening tomorrow and be prepared, and it'll happen. Wow. But I won't get the details because then I'm projecting all over it. You know what I mean? Which yeah. isn't necessary. Um, but mostly, it's in the moment and in the day. I mean, really, the teaching is about being present in the moment and the day. It's not about fixing things for the rest of your life. And that idea of fixing is very much what my guides would suggest as a, a small self-concept. You know, they, they say they don't write self-help books you know, because that's the small self helping the small self. Right. And that's, they're right. talking much more about transformation and change. Um, if, and I do this once in a while, if I give questions to somebody else, if I were to sit down with you and give you a list of 10 questions that I need to hear from myself, and you ask the questions and it was being recorded, I would probably stay out of the way enough 
to be able to render that clearly. But the challenge is if I'm like washing the dishes or something, you know, or playing with the dog, and I hear something I don't want to hear, I'm just going to do something else, you know? (laughs) And that's the problem of channeling for oneself. Yeah, that that makes sense, you know, because I'm thinking about, it's like, say I, I pray about a personal dilemma that, of course, you know, inherently I have some sort of attachment to the outcome to, right? Mm-hmm. I try to always, even though I feel like I'm probably getting a pretty clear signal to proceed or not proceed or whatever the case may be, I try to share the question and the answer that I think I'm getting from God in prayer mm-hmm. meditation with an elder, with a teacher, with a, mm-hmm. you know, a, a human form guide. Like, yeah. hey, so I had this thing, I'm kind of praying on it. Am I nuts here? Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. how does it sound to you? Because I think it's easy for those of us that have had some experience with God or whatever you want to call it to to think that those answers are always clear. But when they're imbued with, with one's own will, it yeah. is tough to discern. Is this a real answer or is it yeah. the answer that I want or that my, as you mm-hmm. say, small self or the ego wants? And, um, you know, I have to use guides that are in human form. Like mm-hmm. Call someone, hey, man, am I tripping? I'm about to do this thing. And they go, are you nuts? You can't do that. Right. You know, I have a good network of people that I call, you know, that do what I do. <clears throat> and I say, this is what I'm getting and what do you get? Mm-hmm. And many of them will call me back, you know, and with their stuff. So we, we trade, you know, <laughs> cool. I mean, it's, it's cool. a healthy way to work. Right. When I'm reading for somebody else, else i'm again neutral to it so i can and you know if 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 the the accuracy wasn't present in what i do with people on an ordinary level of just tuning in i might have a harder time trusting the channel wisdom that comes through me because you know except with the channel stuff there's all this energy that comes with it to sort of back it up so when the guides work with attunements and they attune people to work with the energy that comes through when they teach, there is usually a physical response that people go through with this of the feeling of the vibratory field shifting or the currents of energy running through them. And I'm grateful for that. But I, I'm, I'm still a believer and I read for people who are opening up for the first time sometimes and you know, and I've heard things like my guides are telling me to move to, you know, I don't know, Texas, um, to be next door, move next door to this guy that I went to high school with. And I know we're meant to be together and the guides are <laughs> affirming this. And I go, well, does he know? Right. And they go, well, not yet, but he'll leave his wife eventually. And I'm going, oh, brother, oh, you know, dude. you don't want to go there. It's, it's, not, it's not, not a good way to be operating. Second opinions are helpful. Very much so. Um, when I, I've listened to you channeling, um, mm-hmm. and it's an interesting way that you do it. And I, and I don't, I haven't, yeah. you know, I think a lot of people consider me pretty new agey and woo woo, mm-hmm. but there's a certain, I just kind of like the grassroots simple spirituality. That's uh-huh, kind of been yeah. my path. So yeah, I yeah. haven't gotten too far into this, but there was a period where I was listening to um, a lot of Abraham Hicks lectures mm-hmm. and stuff. And I mean, it seemed that the messages coming through were valid and mm-hmm. true. Uh, but the way that it was delivered just in terms of the auditory experience for the audience is there's one thing being said. And then when you channel, there's mm-hmm. this sort of echo effect where there's a, a whisper of what's being said mm-hmm. and then yeah. and then you repeat it. Why is it like that? Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I know how it started and maybe that's why it's like that. When it first started, it literally felt like somebody had their lips pressed against my forehead. And they were speaking the words. It was the vibration of the word that I would then form at my lips. 
So yes would be like a wah sound and no would be like an mm. And I'd feel it and there was sort of this, and then I, so I would feel it and then speak it. And what happens now is I'm hearing in phrases. I don't hear, there are times on channel direct without the whisper and repeat. It's a little scary for me, frankly, in that I don't retain much of it at all, if any. It just becomes sound at a certain point. Oh, Vowels and constant without sort of meaning. So this is how I describe huh. it. When I'm um, channeling, it's kind of like I'm climbing into the backseat of the car and turning the steering wheel over. And I, sometimes I'm reading a magazine and like letting, just let it be whatever it is coming out of me. I don't care. I'm having a bad day. They can talk about what they want to. Other times I'm leaning up towards the front seat trying to listen because I'm also a student of the work. And if they say something that I think is too nuts or too far out there for me, I've been known to say, can you explain this? And they do. And that's a level of responsibility that I do seem to bring to this that is my personality self. Right. Because my name's on the cover of these books, but I don't want anybody to be too confused by them. I want it to be, I want it to be explained. If it's confusing to me, it's probably confusing to other people. So this has been my process. It's a physical process. But if you can imagine, it's kind of like reading, you know, fortune cookies, one after the other, after the other, after the other, without knowing how they all add up to a paragraph or a chapter or a lecture. And when you read the books or you even if you look, if you were just to transcribe any of the lectures that's up on YouTube, you'd probably see that what's coming through is quite elegant, you know, the language is elegant. The sentence structure makes sense. Very much so. But it's, I'm not experiencing it that way. Right. I'm hearing phrase, 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 phrase. The new book, The Book of Freedom, which is, by the way, you guys listening, these books aren't, it's not like a little pamphlet or something. I mean, this is a, at least The Book of Freedom is like a thick, book, a thick book and yeah. it's very dense. But I would say, and especially considering it's not edited, very well written, mm -hmm. very articulate, mm -hmm. well, well articulated ideas and concepts. So it's interesting that it comes through in that way, that yeah. there's almost this echo happening and that yeah. you, in a sense, almost get robbed of the teachings then if you don't have that feedback loop going. Is that kind of, or you don't get, you know, as much benefit subjectively? I, I, you know, truthfully, I, I don't transcribe anymore, which is great. Somebody else transcribes. I transcribed the first couple of books, and I was so sick of hearing my own voice. <laughs> I was awful to do that. I'm so happy that somebody right. else has taken this on. There's a couple of people now who just take the recordings and they do it. I may go back and correct the commas or something like that, but that's about it. You yeah. know, or I'll, I'll, I'll do a proof when the book comes out to make sure, and I'll go back to the original recordings if I have any questions that they may have misheard something. But it's it's easier for me in some ways to have the experience of just reading it because if I'm hearing stuff in my own voice that part of me that's present is what I'm actually not that interested in do you know what I mean I mean sure. it's kind of like I've said you know the biggest problem with being a channel is that I'm the channel it's not the information it's really not even the phenomena which is strange enough some of it's who am I you know, and why, and, and the questions that I bring. So will I always channel this way? I don't know. I mean, it's actually working. You know, it gives me just enough of a sense of the car is not going over the cliff 
without me aware of it. Um, just enough that I get to feel somewhat safe. But it's a very consistent process. And sometimes if you hear these recordings, the, the words are coming so fast you can't even keep up with them. It's a mile a minute. I've you noticed know? that. Yeah. yeah. I I would advise the people that listen to your work might listen to it at half speed. Oh, because funny. It, well it the the as the density of the information too. Yeah. It's not this isn't light stuff. I mean it's substantial. Yeah. It's substantial. They're uh, teachers. So yeah. They're teaching. Yeah. Yeah. Uh are there are there things that you want to know or someone that you're you're working with or an audience want to know that the guides adamantly just say, Yeah, we're not covering that topic. The answer is we're not answering that and have you learned yeah. kind of what, what are appropriate subjects to, to broach and not? If somebody's asked something in a workshop um, and it's clear that they're looking for their own agenda to be reinforced, whether it's a moral agenda or a political agenda, <laughs> um, which happens sometimes, right, right. I can they're imagine. not going to affirm that because I think that their understanding, and this has been my sense, that the motive for the question is not true knowledge or information. It's looking to be right, you know? Right, um, right. It's only happened a few times in workshops, and I do a lot of workshops, where they've said, thank you, we won't answer this. Um, and one was on... Uh, I'm not going to get into it. It was They're saying say it. I mean, somebody was wanting to know what the guide's stance was on abortion. You oh, know? Wow. Yeah, and it was wow. like, thank you, no, we're not, we're not taking this. But I think it was perhaps coming from, I don't remember, maybe they did answer something, but I don't recall it. And, but I mean, I don't know that the, the reason for the question sure. was coming from a, I don't know, I wasn't there, I didn't ask the question, and I remember this, we answered it. They're saying we answered it by not, and they're saying by not answering it, that was our choice, that was our choice, given the situation, given the situation, and the environment that the question was asked, and we won't answer them. it's not that we won't answer questions, answer questions publicly, publicly that are challenging, that are challenging to a listener, to a listener, we were dealing was appropriate. We were dealing with what was appropriate in that moment, in that moment for that human being, for that human being who was clearly suffering, who was clearly suffering for an and in, in her own way. That's what I'm hearing. So I didn't know that. So That's, I guess it was specific to the moment and not that they wouldn't take it on. I can I can see that because as humans, we're of course always subject to having attachments to different positionalities and ideas, and yeah. we might innocently be asking a question that has some profound uh, level of importance to us but there's really a there's really an attachment or the personality that's asking it and so the relevance of the question is not authentic in a sense well i suppose that's that's probably that's what was my interpretation yeah. i mean other times i hear this once i was once to it was a book signing and um the Bodhi tree, the old Bodhi tree oh, in LA. Yeah. Oh and man, was, I've I've done some serious study in that yeah, place. Was my first book signing was for I Am the Word. Maybe ten people showed up. It was the first book. Oh, I was very God. excited. Brings back so many memories. And some woman, like in the front row, raised her hands and said, "So, what do your guides have to say about these evil extraterrestrials?" <laughs> And the guys jump, and they they hadn't shown up at all. They showed up, and they said, "Isn't it bad that you can't get along with one another here? You have to vilify the rest of the universe." I mean, basically, they were sort of immediately saying, "You know, you're you're deciding who everybody else is based on your 
small self criteria here. So that was their way of not taking the question, which is, you know, you're just creating more enemies. You can't, right. Isn't it bad enough that you can't get along with the person sitting in the next seat? Which um, is the answered first. like a true spiritual teacher. Uh, we'll be right back at you after this brief but important announcement. Let's take a moment to give a shout out to our friends over at Alatura Naturals. If you listened to episode 18 back in the day with my guest Andy Nilo, then you know all about it. This company makes the most insanely pure and powerful skincare products on the market. And I use their stuff. And, you know, I always say this when I'm doing these promos and I feel corny, but I use their stuff every day. I mean, it's just straight up. If you could come over here right now, walk down the hall from my podcast studio, open my bathroom medicine cabinet, you will find their clay mask, you will find their night cream, and you will find their lotion. And I use it literally every day. Well, not the clay mask. You don't do a clay mask every day. When I have time to do the clay mask, I do it. Or just when I feel like I want to get more beautiful. You know what I'm saying? So I use this stuff for the anti-aging effects. I want to take care of my skin. I get a lot of sun. I mean, that's the thing. You know, I'm not afraid of the sun. But I don't go out in the sun willy-nilly. Dude, definitely, I am protecting my skin. I'm nourishing my skin with the stuff from Alatura. So my boy Andy over there has been going at this company for a few years. He's a kindred spirit. He's a hardworking entrepreneur. I'm really happy to support them. I'm happy that they're supporting me. If you go to their site, they've got 1,300 testimonials. They've got a 4.9 out of 5 cumulative rating. These products are now sold in 77 countries. Andy goes all out sourcing and really looking at the research behind all of these ingredients. They're all natural, organic, very nutrient-rich ingredients that feed and nourish your skin so you can look super vibrant and young. And straight up, these things are so pure that you could eat them. And guess what? Your skin does eat everything that you put on your skin. So it's really important. That's something a lot of people miss. You know, they're eating organic, they're drinking the spring water, they're doing all the things. They're getting down with their biohacking and then they go put some freaking Jergens toxic lotion or whatever. Am I allowed to like put other brands down? I don't know. Sorry, Jergens. But you know what I'm saying. You don't want to put like toxic stuff on your skin. It soaks right in. It goes directly into your bloodstream. It bypasses your liver. Even when you like eat toxins, you at least have some organs that help filter that stuff out. Your skin is an organ that doesn't have the ability to do that. So only put the most chronic badass pure stuff on your skin if you want to get some of that here's what you do go to alaturanaturals.com and enter the code lifestylist to save 20 percent off that's a really substantial discount on these products they're very high end that's alaturanaturals.com use the code lifestylist to save 20 percent. and now back to the interview I have some questions, and if it if it flows, I know you got into a little uh, channeling there for a yeah. moment. Uh, now, I don't have a political kind of question about something like abortion, but it spurned one of my age-old questions. And if at any point the guides or you feel anything is not mm-hmm. appropriate to answer, I'm totally fine leaving yeah. it a mystery. But I've always wondered at what point the human spirit enters into its physical incarnation in the embryo at conception or after a period of time i don't think we're going to go there okay today and i'm going to say this only yeah. because you're you, the viewers want to hear this but there's a fair amount of noise right outside this room mm. and it would be a little challenging for me to really try to channel i just don't want to cool go in and out you yeah know? yeah cool um yeah i don't get that that's a question we're going to take today okay no problem 
of can I go for some more that are less mm-hmm. controversial? <laughs> it's not about controversy. It's some of this is my comfortability and mm-hmm. what I can bring through and where I'm going to feel overly responsible to an answer that's not mine. This is the channel. You're dealing with a conscious channel. If I was asleep like Edgar Casey, you know, who knows what would come out. Yeah, you then know? you don't really have any, if you yeah, Edgar Casey, you don't really have any personal responsibility um, in a sense. Well, I'm going to see if they're going to, I'm going to let them take this. Not the way you want. They're saying not in the way that you want. Tell them this. So when I channel, I whisper the words and repeat them. People hear things twice. The question was actually about inception. The question was actually about inception, the nature of soul, and the nature of the soul. It's a much larger question. It's a much larger question that you understand than you understand. The soul actually inhabits the body. The soul actually inhabits the body prior to birth, prior to birth, but the relationship to the body is not secured, is not secured until birth, until birth. In other words, in other words, the decision to be born is a monumental decision. It's a monumental decision for the soul, for the soul. It is not taken. It is not taken quite lightly, quite lightly in the manifestation of form. And the manifestation of form can be secured, can be secured prior to soul, prior to soul, incorporating, incorporating everything is of God. Everything is of God, whether or not you know it, whether or not you know it, like it or not, like it or not, but the soul itself, but the soul itself which is of God, which is of God, doesn't mandate, doesn't mandate birth. It agrees to birth. It agrees to birth and the alignment to form and the alignment to form to form that it will take, that it will take. So the soul is in agreement. So the soul is in agreement to be born, to be born, but as the soul enters, but as the soul enters its expression, its expression, it decides when, it decides when it will incorporate, it will incorporate as the body, as the body, period. So that's, that was new to me. I wow. never heard that before. Me so, either. Yeah. So that's I amazing. mean, they went there in their own way. Thank you. Yes, they're saying thank you. Yes. See, that's my resistance, and not not always theirs. I have a friend who uh, has a terribly ill child, some uh-huh. autism spectrum kind yeah, of yeah, issue, yeah. and he's really struggling with the idea of a loving creator, a loving God, uh, because bad things happen. Sure. And I think this is perhaps, in my experience. One of the most challenge, challenging things for humans to get over is if this God is good and this God is loving, why is there evil? Why do quote unquote bad things yeah. happen? This is such a well. It's a deeper and a, a much bigger thing. The gods are just really getting into this now in a, in a very big way, and they're basically saying that most of your ideas of what God is are born in historical narrative of what God should be. And they say, and you know, this is all, you know, this is twelve step stuff too. But it's a true teaching from the guides. They teach it differently, but they say God is all things or nothing at all. Do you understand that? So in the new agey stuff, people want their unicorns and fairies and you know happy days. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things. But if God is only those things that we approve of or meet the design we think they should have, we're excluding an enormous amount of human experience from the divine. Now, the guides say it's the realization of the divine, which is the knowing of the divine in all things, that actually lifts things to the higher octave, to the higher level of of realization that the divine is present. And when you do that, and they teach this, and it's quite palpable when you do it, when you witness the divine and you claim the divine in what you see in form, you can actually feel it come back to you. 
like the idea of what you bless blesses you, but there's a tangible experience to this. Now, I mean, I'm ha- and it's not, you see, so even the idea that pain is of this great idea that God is, I couldn't have come to where I came to had I not suffered in my own weird way. You know, and I'm not a proponent of suffering. I'm not opposed to it. But the guides have said, you know, this isn't about feeling good all the time. There are pills for that if that's what you want. But that's not the purpose of this, I don't think. So I'm happy if you want to tune into your friend and your friend's kid and see if I get anything there. But I I understand this only because they've been so insistent on it as they teach. So, I mean, they say, you know, God is, you know, your skin and your blood, you know, and, you know, what you see before you and who you see before you and the person you never want to see again as long as you live, you know, and the puppy, you know, running across the street and, you know, the puppy that got hit by the car. It's all still of God because if you want to exclude anything, this is what they teach. They say, what you put in darkness calls you to the darkness. It's very simple. You can't be the light and hold another in darkness. So the challenge is, I suspect, and I'm not saying I'm there yet at all, but the idea that the realization of the divine, the knowing of the divine that is present and must be present in all things, isn't necessarily going to be in the least bit convenient to the personality who wants it to look a certain way. And who's to say, you know, I heard this years ago, it's not the guide's teaching, but, you know, who's to say that the you know the 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 person on the street who's begging for change isn't having the experience he came for you know and my guides would say and he's also giving you the great opportunity to be of service by helping him you know the new age stuff as well he's creating his own reality i mean that's silly do you know what i mean yes he is <laughs> but he's also giving right. you the opportunity to buy him a cup of coffee or give him five bucks so, right I wholeheartedly feel the uh, the validity of that, mm-hmm. H- having been someone like all human beings that have suffered. You know, for me, it was the path of alcoholism and drug mm-hmm. addiction, and mm-hmm. I did suffer a lot. And other people suffered a lot around me too, mm-hmm. because of the inherent selfishness that comes along with that kind of survival yeah. mechanism. Uh, but I would I would not take anything back. I mean, from yeah. being sexually abused to having parents that were not that great at parenting uh, for a certain period. I don't think I would be the same man that I am today Mm -hmm. had I not gone through those, what some might call negative experiences, definitely painful experiences. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like if I could turn back the clock and not be an alcoholic, I don't know that I would change that Mm -hmm. because that's the thing for you had an awakening in 87. Mine Mm -hmm. was in 96 and Mm -hmm. it was that issue yeah. that drove me to earnestly and humbly seek God in a real way, yeah. which has been unfolding ever since. Yeah. So is it not then, you know, the the judgment of the mind that says this is good, that's bad, yeah. that and, and makes historical it so. data. It's better to be rich than poor. It's better to be this than that. I mean, you can go down the list and most of these things are, are born in inherited information that we make true by agreeing to them again and again and again. Who the hell says so? 
And the Book of Freedom, which is the new book, is about breaking out or lifting above that strata or that that ceiling that tells you what you're allowed and who you're supposed to be. You know, we. I mean, I. You know, I don't know. I mean, I don't know anything more than you do about this. Truthfully, I do know. I suspect that I am as the guides say, in agreement to everything I see. The guides say, you know, it's not that you created everything, but you are in agreement to everything you see because it, you're in co-resonance with it. Do you know, I didn't make the war in Iraq, but my consciousness, once I know of the war, is informing the war. Do you understand this? Consciousness actually informs matter as I understand it. And the realization of the inherent divine, which is what lifts it, to a higher level where it can be renowned or recreated. I mean, the guides say again and again, you can't make anything holy. It already is. Mm. You can know the inherent divine in something, but you can't divinize it. So, I don't know. I'm just talking now. In terms of a soul's evolution, which the guides mm. got into a little bit before, it seems to me uh, that it makes sense that we choose certain circumstances in which yeah. we incarnate because yeah. the lessons there are inherently valuable, right? Uh-huh. Which I would say is the case uh, for myself. I've always wondered uh, in terms of the evolution of one's soul or consciousness, do we in fact work our way up through you know, the plant and animal kingdom into human form where we then have a chance to evolve yeah. through human incarnations to a higher consciousness. Well, all they're saying is everything's an opportunity to learn. This is still school. This is still school, regardless of what you incarnate as, regardless of what you incarnate as, you come in form intentionally. They're saying you come in form intentionally. God is in the blade of grass. God is in the blade of grass. God is in your skin and bone. God is in your skin and bone. The soul you know yourself through. The soul you know yourself through is as of God, is as of God, as the blade of grass, as the blade of grass, but on a rather different mission, but on a rather different mission. The soul seeks realization. The soul seeks realization and reunion and reunion through education, through education, which is the opportunity incarnation brings, which is the opportunity incarnation brings. You have come in form. You have come in form. He has come in form. He has come in form to know yourself in agreement, to know yourself in agreement with the material realm, with the material realm that you have chosen for your school, that you have chosen for your school. You're not going to the rest. You do not incarnate as the blade of grass, but God is the blade of grass, but God is the blade of grass and your skin and bone and your skin and bone, the realization of the divine in matter, the realization of the divine in matter, that nothing can be separate from it, that nothing can be separate from it is what will awaken you, is what will awaken you to your true nature, to your true nature, period. They're saying period. So I don't know if they answered that. I mean, I don't know if I, I don't, I don't think we come back as, you know, trees and stuff. You may choose many things. I hear you may choose many things that you don't understand, that you don't understand from your perspective. They're saying to me from your perspective. So maybe we do and they're not going to go there quite yet. So I don't know. That's still helpful. Okay, good. Have the guides given you or will they give you any information as to the influence or validity of uh, astrological influence in terms of when and where one is born and how that forms their personality yeah. or, or destiny. 
I hear opportunities to learn systems of learning, systems of learning, not premeditated, not premeditated, but offerings to experience. I'll put offerings to experience this self through different ways, through different ways, maybe calculated, that may be calculated by birth, by birth, through what you know of as astrology, through what you know of as astrology. Everything is to be experienced. Everything is here to be experienced. You're not lying. I say it differently. You're not lying. You are not lying when you call yourself a man, when you call yourself a man. But that is not wholly who you are. But that is not wholly who you are. You are far more than your gender. You are far more than your gender or your astrological sign or your astrological sign. It's a way to understand the self. It is a way to understand the self to decide for you. But it does not decide for you in the ways that you may think, in the ways that you may think. They can be informative. They can be informative, inform the situation, inform the situation or personality structure or personality structure. But it is not predetermined. You are, but it is not predetermined, does not predetermine who you are, period. And they're saying period. Okay. That's cool. All right. I didn't know that either. <laughs> it must be so uh, interesting for you to to learn these things as as you go. And that, that question, for example, is not, it's not even something I'm really hung up yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, It's just a lot of people seem to really gain a lot of insight from, yeah. you know, the study of where uh-huh. the stars are at certain times. Yeah. For me, I'm indifferent. I, if it's a uh-huh. full moon, I go, well, that's interesting. I, I don't read a lot into that but mm-hmm. um if you look at the way uh the planets are aligned and how they affect just the physical aspects of earth the uh, you know the tide and things oh, like yeah. that it's it's definitely interesting i agree to see how that affects the tide within us um would it be uh permissible to uh ask some more personal questions in the sense of mm-hmm. a, a reading or something like that well, if you want to ask something, we'll see if we can go there. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I've been curious about as a person who's been sober for a long time is um, the use of plant medicines. Mm-hmm. And I've had never had any interest yeah. or desire, but recently this ayahuasca keeps kind of popping into my mm-hmm. inner circle a bit in a more meaningful way that's gotten my attention. Yeah. I mean, I understand this, you know, and I'll, I'll just explain this. You know, I... You know, maybe a piece of chocolate cake and some pasta once in a while. That's like my drug of choice at this point. I don't, you know, my system is is specific and there are things that I don't put in it only because I don't really know how I'm wired up. And I'm also fascinated by plant medicine, but it's not, it's not a doorway I've walked through yet. So I don't have any, you know, grand opinion personally on this, but I'll tune into you through this and do this specifically to you because your path may be different from somebody else's. Can I have your whole name, please? Luke Carlson Story. Let me see if I can tune into you and get this. (laughs) Well, you come through saying, well, I'm ready to be blown away again. I'm due for it. I'm due for it. It's interesting. You really are interested in this. You're not, it's not just a little bit. You're perceiving this, frankly, if I'm reading you correctly, as an opportunity to experience yourself in union. And I don't know that that it would happen the way that you think, but I think it could still be beneficial. Now, I'm going to ask you about just sort of given your history. You know, and this is specific to you, perhaps not to somebody else. I know plenty of people in recovery who've explored this stuff. And, you know, I know Bill Wilson did in his way with Aldous Huxley way back when. So let me just see what I hear from you. Hmm. 
my sense for you is that it would actually be catalyzing in ways that you would be challenged by. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. But it, it may actually unmoor you from the security that you've known, which is helpful for you, which is actually helpful for you, which is helpful. The security, the unmooring, both can be. Both can be, but it really depends on what experience you want. But it really depends on what experience you want. If you want to go on an adventure and then go home to find out and then go home to find out you were not who you thought you were, you are not who you thought you were in your adventure and your adventure now continues, now continues at the cost of the old, at the cost of the old, that is what would happen, that is what would happen now as we teach, now as we teach a similar thing, a similar thing we teach without the ayahuasca, we teach without the ayahuasca, but in some ways to same effect, but in some ways to same effect, the re-identification, the re-identification with the true self, with the true self that comes at the cost old, that comes at the cost of the old. Your system is not calibrated. Your system is not calibrated for certain substances, for certain substances. You don't want to be triggered. You don't want to be triggered. It will not trigger you. It will not trigger you. That is not the issue. That is not the issue. There would not be the reaction. There would not be the reaction in the body, in the body, but the consciousness itself, but the consciousness itself that has found stability, that has found stability through what you call sobriety, through what you call sobriety would be challenged, would be challenged, and perhaps this is what you want, and perhaps this is what you want, but the ramifications, but the ramifications would not be what you would think, would not be what you would think. That's the issue. So I just ask, is there a danger if you're going back to, to using? I go, no, that's not, I don't get that per se. I don't get that that's the issue. It's a deeper challenge. It's actually a deeper challenge in how you self-identify and how you self-identify and what you use to get through the day and what you use to get through the day. I don't know if that makes sense. You know, I was thinking about this, especially in the way over here today, that some of my stuff that I wish I didn't have, you know, my fear of the future and my you know, wanting to know my safety when I go. And, you know, every time I just, I had an, another interview aired yesterday and I can feel because I'm empathic, everybody's sort of going, whoa, that guy's so freaking weird, you know? It's like, okay, and I feel it, I don't like it. But then I thought, you know, this is how I've managed my reality for some time. It still benefits me in some way, you know? If I could go back to smoking four packs a day and it wouldn't hurt me, I would. And there are days when, you know, a drink sounds like it wouldn't be a terrible idea. But for me, it's not a good idea. And I honor that. I hear I, this path of ayahuasca is a very specific one. If you wish to encourage yourself, there you may. If you wish to encourage yourself, you may, but you would be challenged. Ways you don't know. I hear you would be challenged in ways you don't know. And they're, they're not saying that's neither good nor bad, which is interesting. You know, they don't tell people what to do. I'm going to go back to you just and tune into you now that I've said all that, and I'm hoping I don't regret saying any of this. Not at all. They're saying not at all. I'm going to go back to you and see what you say. 
You're saying to me now that you're not ready to understand yourself without the context that you've created, provides you some maturity, that provides you some security, and that's necessary still, and that that's necessary for you still. They're showing me, basically, they're showing me like you in a sandbox, and it's a big sandbox, and you can lean right over the edge, but you're keeping your feet within it, which I suspect would mean the context that you're using to sort of navigate your reality. It's kind of, you know, the guides say this sometimes. It's kind of like, imagine if at your age you suddenly find out your parents were never your parents, you know, and you were you were stolen from a parking lot back in whatever year you were born in, and, you know, it was all not real. I mean, that's mind-blowing stuff, you know what I mean? And to be challenged by that can be fascinating and astonishing and part of what one experiences in life. But, you know, that may kind of be what you get. You know what I mean? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, opening a box that you can't shut again in kind a sense. Of. Yeah. Well, that that's interesting. I, I appreciate that insight. Right. Thank you, guides, and thank you. Yeah. Uh, another one that's been, you know, something in my development that I've really been working on is, is my capacity to hold space for a healthy fulfilling romantic relationship. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know that any human beings ever totally cracked the code on that. Uh, it's certainly been something I've been a slow learner in and mm -hmm. uh, I'm about to turn 48 on Monday and mm -hmm. had a birthday. few, thank you. I've had a few great relationships, but uh, I've taken a break for a year and a half. Mm -hmm. I just had my first date the other day. It was fantastic. Uh -huh. uh, it took a long time and um, I don't think that getting into a romantic relationship is the be-all, end-all and the Shangri-La yeah. of life, but it's it's an aspect of life that I would like to experience more fully mm -hmm. with someone who's in alignment mm -hmm. with my mission and goal of mm -hmm. the relationship being a container by which both people can learn and grow yeah, yeah, yeah. and experience a deeper expression of love. Yeah, um, It occurred to me probably about three years ago that, oh man, good but it occurred to me that i was that i spent much of my life withholding love that was there to be expressed yeah. mm -hmm. and it started to occur to me that it's like i was breaking my own heart in the withholding because i've been cultivating so much shared love and expression in my life with other people uh -huh. and there were these just blocks in terms of bringing that type of vulnerability yeah. to a relationship. And it got to the point where it's just like, oh my God, there's an anvil on my chest. I mm -hmm. have to stop trying to protect myself mm -hmm. from risk and yeah. stumbled into a couple situations in which I did my best to be open and vulnerable. And they were, you know, I mean, everything happens for a reason, but yeah. in, in many ways, <laughs> dissatisfactory and painful. Mm. And, um, and rather than retreating back into being closed, I retreated into finding a way of opening that is safe for everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so my question is, uh, having said all that, mm. what might there be that's still blocking me that, that I could look at or what could I cultivate more within myself to allow that type of scenario to manifest all right well you know maybe they'll tell you they haven't told me yet and i've been waiting on this one for some time <laughs> you I'm relate like, to that oh yeah okay. okay let me go here it's funny it's you're sort of saying you know it's not that you don't want love you don't know that it will come in the way that you want it 
Trustful. So you're actually somewhat mistrustful of it. We're a little wary. And there's a little bit of what are they going to want from me. And you say that at the same time you shake your hips. When people shake their hips, that means kind of they think, they think they're hot. But you do, you shake your hips at the same time you're being wary. I'm in control. And I go, what does this mean? And you say, it means I'm in control. I will decide. I will decide what is okay for me, what is okay for me. And when I do this, I pull back a little bit. I just sort of sit back, wait. To be honest with you, when I go to what's underneath it, some of it is quite simply I'm not going to be fucked with again. You can beep that if you want, but that's no, sort we of don't the, we don't bleep on the show. Good. That's sort of the <laughs> the deciding factor. So let's see what we do about this. Well, what you say is I don't have to know anything. I just have to love. And when I, when I say it that simply, and that's coming from you, your jaw drops. Like that's all you have to do is love. The block, frankly, is only there as you make it. Love itself will blast the thing right out of you. Do you know? That's what I do. I hear that's all I have to do is love is love. I can have it again. You see, then what begins to happen is this, and this, is, this always means reciprocation. Figure eight is back and forth and back and forth. You really, it's like you don't even know that you can have it like in the moment you sit in. It's all there. Like it's all there. Some of this, and they're saying, say this, they're saying, don't decide what it should look like, how it should feel, how it should feel, what is okay, what is okay. Mandates. Those are mandates that are historical for you. In some ways, you can kind of clear the table of those things. And it's like clearing the table of all the leftovers of yesterday in order to receive the meal that would be given to you. That's the nourishment you're really wanting. And that's, frankly, mutuality. This is what they showed me. They showed me, you know, like, it looked like, you know, like a white tablecloth at a hotel, you know, in the room service cart. You just cleared the whole thing off. And the moment you did that, somebody actually reaches their hands across the table to take yours. The moment that's done... And they keep saying, well, he doesn't know that he can have it now. More work to be done. And you have to be a little mindful, say this. And they're saying, say this, of the idea of more work to be done. There's more work to be done. And then you pat yourself from having done the work. And then you're waiting for the manifestation of it. It's not neat. And there's no need. I don't, actually hear it doesn't happen that way. Some of this, say this. They're saying, say this. Is about say this forgiving yourself for not having known what love is at other times at other times in your life. I didn't know. I did my best. I did my best. I thought I knew. I thought I knew. I'm still trying to know. I'm still trying to know. You don't know anything. I hear you don't have to know anything. You just have to love. You just have to love. And then all is done through you. And then all is done through you. All is done. They're saying all is done. It is done. It is done. I mean, I, it's interesting. I've never heard this. It's important. They're saying it's important. Try, if you want to, not thinking about it as a relationship and just instead of as love. Because it's the idea of the relationship that seems to hold some of the stuff that's more fraught. 
than the simple exchange of the experience, which you can then call a relationship if you want. Do you understand this at all? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Mic dropped. (laughs) Oh, that was amazing. Thank you for that. Yeah, you're welcome. What's blocking me from having the financial abundance that I desire? Uh, Having said that, I also don't feel as though my fulfillment is entirely dependent on that. Mm -hmm. But for how hard I've worked, what I've accomplished... There are things, simple uh, things in my life, such as owning a home that's comfortable and safe and has some trees around it that has not as of yet manifested. You see, when I ask this, you show up kind of like a teenager, kind of skipping along kind of happily and saying, well, when I'm ready. And there's a part of you that doesn't want the responsibility of it. Not now, I'm busy. I'm too busy. I'm doing what I want. There's a part of you that's saying, you know, I'm doing what I want. I'm getting what I need as I, as I need it. So that immediacy of your experience is present and here. It's not a problem. I'm just interested that you show up like you're, you know, 18 or 21, you know, having a great time, <laughs> sort of dancing down this street with all the houses that are probably for sale, but you're like sort of dismissing it. So let me just see if that is about you sort of, Having a Peter Pan thing, you know what I mean, where I don't want to be that. That's not it. I hear that's actually not it. So let's see what it is. I want to hear it from you. It feels like a burden to you at a certain level, the idea of, of responsibility. And I want to use the word financial responsibility. Like it's something that you care, like literally I feel like I'm carrying something on my back. And I don't want that. I want the freedom. So let's see what can shift the the thinking on this. Well, the idea that abundance is everywhere is the first thing. And again, you're claiming what it should be. And you're kind of, again, claiming what it should be based on an idea of what it's it's supposed to look like. It really can look like many things. You can have more than enough of that. If that's what you need to learn through, most of you get exactly what you need. Most of you get exactly what you need. And that's in agreement to what you believe you can claim. Say this. So the guides say again and again and again, we're always claiming off of the menu of what we think we're allowed. Do you know what I mean? Wow. So you don't go to the Thai restaurant and order the bolognese, you know, it's just, it doesn't, it's not there. It's not on the menu. So if abundance isn't on the menu because I haven't known it or I haven't agreed to the potential of it, I'm not going to order it. Now, you see, we're always getting what we expect. And this is really the 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 frustrating part of it. You know, it's like the person who says, I always date jerks. Every time they get, every time they date another jerk, they get to be right. And they get to affirm that reality, the choice you make right now. They're saying the choice you make right now is to to agree to what you can have. Permission is needed. I'm allowed to receive what I need. I am allowed to receive what I need. It's not not going to overwhelm me or or stop me from living. Enjoy, enjoy in my life, in my life. 
you know, I do my version of this. You know, I rent here in New York and I keep thinking, I'm going to go buy a house someplace, but I don't want to be in New York anymore. I want to be on the West Coast. And then I go, well, where? And then I spend, you know, three hours on Trulia looking at houses that I'm never going to walk into in person. (laughs) You know, some days it's, you know, Santa Monica. Some days it's Santa Fe. I mean, as long as there's a Santa in front of it, I I keep a Santa Barbara I like to, but there's no airport. But, you know, it's my way. And then I go oh, what's going to happen to me if I do that is I'm going to be, first of all, I don't drive. I'm a New Yorker. I never learned to drive and I can barely cook. So they're going to find me at the end of the winter, you know, with like an unopened can of beans, <laughs> you know, in some right. snowstorm in Vermont where I foolishly bought a house, you know. So I have my own reasons why these things don't or can't happen. I keep feeling, though, that in your case, you'd rather be kind of skipping down the street, you know, and it's kind of exciting. And everything is sort of happening around you. And what you don't really want to do, um, you see, as long as the money is coming to you in a way that feels fluid for you, that's not something that you're going to have to sit on like to protect or manage like a house or things like that. It can really be had. And here's, you probably know this one already, but the simplest way to begin to work with prosperity consciousness is to understand the source of your prosperity, which isn't your job and isn't the paycheck and isn't what you got in the bank. It's the source and it's one source for all things. And realizing that that source can express itself in many, many, many different ways can be key to, you know, receiving. It's why people fall apart when their jobs dry up, because they thought the job was the source of their abundance. And it's just one channel that abundance can show up through. Okay. Amazing. Thanks for the reminder of that. Sure. It reminds me of a a, a teaching by Emmett Fox Ah. where he talks about one of the old school Christian scientist writers, you know, Mm -hmm. from the 20s and 30s. And he talks about how there's, you know, there's the source of all these little streams, but we get caught up on chasing the streams, forgetting that there's, you know, a damned damned river up there (laughs) that makes a giant reservoir where it all comes from, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's that's very meaningful. Um, Speaking of work... uh, and and careers, I'm wondering what I could do to improve and enlarge the impact of what I'm doing with the Lifestylist podcast in terms of uh, topics, the types of guests, reach, what's, what's really going to add value to uh, mankind in a meaningful way. Strangely, this... You may want to consider start meeting people where they live. So becoming an adventurer in some way. Why? This is about you taking your audience on the adventure that you're on. So what else? I hear you actually, you don't know that you're doing it already. So just ask what more. It doesn't feel like it's about visibility or commitment there is, for you, it needing to be about authority, that you can have what you want, that you can be heard, that your voice is worthy of being heard. by And I want to say by whoever needs to hear it. 
And that's the key here. And it will be heard. And it will be heard by those who need to hear, by those who need to hear. Um, that's it. That's it. I just think it's a little bit of a shift in consciousness. I don't get that there's anything that's not happening yet that needs to. Cool. Okay. That's a that's a great answer. Carry on with the mission. Carry on. <laughs> uh, something that's been impactful in my own mm-hmm. evolution and growth, and really played a large part, I believe, in the in the heart opening that I expressed mm-hmm. moments ago, has been the practice of Kundalini Yoga. Uh-huh. It's been, I think, at this point, about seven years. I've been doing yeah. it with a pretty high degree of regularity, and mm-hmm. I've benefited immensely yeah. from it, despite some of my preconceived judgments about the way it looks and some mm-hmm. of the trappings. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I just, it's undeniable that it's affected me positively. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I've endeavored to take on teacher training and I'm, I've done one of three weeks and um, I intend to incorporate some of these technologies into workshops and things that I'm doing in the future. Yeah, yeah. And are, are you getting that that would serve the yeah, highest good? It's all good for you. It's all good for you. I mean, this is just about the idea of sharing your gift, you know, and that's, that's it. You know, I mean, the guides, you know, make these attunements they do. I know who I am. I know what I am. I know how I serve. And they say how anyone serves is how they're most fully expressed as the true self or the divine self or the aspect of you who already knows who he is. And that can show up through this kind of work or this kind of work or no work at all simply by being, you know, at that level of, of agreement or vibrational accord point of view. What I actually hear about the Kundalini stuff for you is that it's productive for you because it gives you authority. And there's a part of you I want to suggest that's been sort of striving for authority, which is your own authority, your own sovereignty at that level much of your life. And this is there's a sense of, of stabilizing this. And this comes with a sense for you of really knowing who you are. And with that, I'm not, I'm not proving anything. And the idea when I go to you of I'm not proving anything, that's another jaw drop. Like, like, oh my God, I don't have to do that anymore. I mean, it's funny. And then the moment you realize that you don't have to, it's just done. Could care less. You'll have a great time. That's huge. Yeah. That's huge uh, because I... A couple of years ago, at 46 years old, I retired from a career that I had for 17 years. I just mm-hmm. stopped and reinvented myself. Uh-huh. Like, I'm this guy now. Yeah. <laughs> sort of out of thin air. Not really, though. Much like you, I was doing yeah. it these this lifestyle quietly for 20 years at that point, uh-huh. unprofessionally, but made a decision why I want to really come out and share this. And I, I have struggled with sort of, do I belong here? Am I allowed yeah. to do this? That kind of thing of having that authority. Like, no, man, I've, I've earned my seat in whatever seat that I'm in and and have a right to share and express the things that have benefited my life. But Mm -hmm. it's something I've had to work through, you know, is feeling like I, you know, I'm allowed to be there, almost the imposter syndrome of like, if anyone finds out, like, I don't really, you know, I just kind of, I kind of snuck in the back door of this place and now I'm a speaker, you know, on stage. Do they know I don't know what I'm doing? You know, that kind of thing. So that's that's reaffirming. Yeah, I've had the same thing. You have? Oh, sure, sure. I mean, I was, it's funny, you, I, when I was studying healing back in my early, early 30s, I actually had a dream one night where I crashed a party 
that my teacher was at, and I thought my teacher was like this great big, maybe she was a great big, it was a big deal to me. And in this room was sort of like all these big deal spiritual teachers, you know? And it was funny, in the dream, it was like on London Bridge, I had to climb up a bridge, you know, that elevated bridge? Yeah. And I didn't know symbols in those days. I mean, I was going up to a higher level, you know? And they were all there having, it was kind of like a war room for what needed to happen on the planet. And I snuck into this party and I hid behind a couch. And my old teacher was there and she looked over her shoulder and she saw that I was there and kind of rolled her eyes. But didn't I wasn't asked to leave. Do you know what I mean? I just got to stay like the kid who crashes the grown-up's party. And in a funny way, you know, who would have thought, whatever it is, you know, 20 years, 20 plus years later, that I would be doing what I do? Do you know what I mean? But the first time I ever studied healing, I was convinced that I was the only one in the class that wasn't supposed to be there. And I had to force myself to stay in the chair. I was scared out of my mind, you know. Wow. Yeah. There's a a line in a book called uh, 12 Steps and 12 Traditions. Mm -hmm. And it said we, it's describing the psyche of an alcoholic. And Uh it says that uh, we felt as though we were actors suddenly thrust on stage and then realizing we didn't know a single line of our parts. Yeah. When I read that years ago, I thought, man, that's that just encapsulated from age zero to, you know, maybe mid-30s when I actually kind of felt like I had a little something figured out, yeah. you know, so I guess that's just um, part of the human experience. In I still sense. don't have it figured out, you know, and I don't know that it's about figuring it out. I think figuring it out is about sort of being able to operate in a certain way by a group of accepted rules. And when you really get into this stuff, you actually move even beyond that, you know, to a kind of responsiveness to what it just means to be, you know, and that's exciting too, but I totally get it. I have one last question. Uh, I'm like a little piggy right now asking my little selfish questions about me. But there, there is one thing that, that I've pondered a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, as I said, I'm about to turn 48 and mm-hmm. I've, I've never felt um, a sincere, mm, discernible desire to procreate. Mm-hmm. I look at people with kids and I go, oh, that's great for you. Like, that's beautiful. Have fun with that. Uh, at an earlier time in life, I think I would say a little bit more on the phobic side, kind of like, yeah, I don't want any part of that because then, as you said, my freedom mm-hmm. is going to be stymied and I can't just yeah, yeah. make up life as I go along. I have to consider something else. Uh, but as I'm getting older and hopefully a little more mature, you know, I recently got a dog a few months ago and I'm obsessed mm. with this freaking dog. Yeah. Love the dog. And, uh, you know, now I'm thinking, God, wow, the idea of having a sort of nuclear family actually sounds warm and it's starting to produce more of a a positive leaning in my life. And I have had a couple teachers at different punctuations in my life that have said, you are supposed to be a father. This mm-hmm. is part of your role here. And I was much younger and thought, oh, you must be mistaken. Yeah. You're not a valid teacher. Um, are you getting anything in terms of where I stand with that? And if that's something that would benefit my experience or the experience of said soul that enters or mankind in general? I don't know. You know, I'll tune into you and see what you want to tell me. I hear you tell me I don't need to have a child. That's a choice I can make. Trust me. I also hear it would be a good choice for you. But again, I want to suggest for different reasons than you think. I hear deep accountability to another human being is an important thing for you. 
bond. And I hear there's nothing deeper than that bond. You would learn through it. You would learn through it. The child would be loved. And I hear the child would be loved. And that's the most important thing. And that's the most important thing. It's something to take it. I hear it's opportunity if you take it. It's not a mandate. It is not a mandate. Don't perceive it as such. So I hear don't perceive it as such. In other words, if you choose not to, that doesn't make you wrong. To understand this, what going to do? A strange, I hear you sort of much benefit if you do, so that there are things for you to learn and grow through and grow through. And I also want to suggest it doesn't have to be biological. Do you understand that? That's the point. That's not the point. It's about the commitment, deep, deep commitment, commitment to another human being. I hear the bond will not be broken. So I don't know if that's a healthy reason to have a child. This is what I'm, what I'm hearing. Okay, that's cool. I've, in, I've intuited a similar message. Yeah, yeah, thank you for that. Sure. One of my questions earlier was going to be, you know, as someone who now, for you know, as fate has it, you're teaching other people, uh, or the guides are teaching through you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but normally, I ask someone a three part question at the end of the interview, mm-hmm. and that is, who are three teachers or teachings that have influenced your life or your work that we might be able to go look up? So. I mean, do you find yourself listening to old Ram Dass tapes or reading Eckhart Tolle books? Or do, I don't I read mean, do you anybody. study anyone else? No, I don't read anybody. And um, I buy them. I, buy, I have everybody's book on my shelf. I don't crack <laughs> them. I've, <laughs> I've tried. I mean, I I, you, you mentioned Emmett Fox, and that was important to me and very important when I was in my 20s, my late 20s. I had an old therapist, Hurricane Harriet, and she gave me the book, you know. Sermon on the Mount? Was Sermon it that on the Mount one? Yeah. was that one, yeah. yeah. And, um, but no, I don't. And I actually feel that my own growth in some ways may be hindered by... It's not that I'm not interested in what other people teach. It's, that's not it at all. But I'm in this odd position where I am bringing through information that I don't necessarily have context for. And, um, for example, people come to me sometimes and they say, well, what do your guides have to say about my soul contracts? And they don't, they've never used the term soul contracts. That's like Carolyn Mace's stuff, I think, right, right? Right, But suddenly something lands in the zeitgeist and, you know, the common vocabulary and it's assumed that everybody's going to talk about it or has the same point of reference. The guides can speak to why you choose to incarnate and what you came to learn, I think. Um, So, yeah, I don't have an answer for that. You know, I just want to watch a good popcorn movie, (laughs) you know. And I have have a little dog now, too, that I got four months ago. Oh, really? So I've got Lily next to me on the couch. No way, at the same time. That's interesting. Is that your first or have you had others? I've had others. You have? Yeah, this is Uh, the first in a while. I'm, dude, I'm having such a great time. My my friend Elliot's back home, uh, house sitting and, and dog sitting. And yeah. every day I'm like, where's my videos? <laughs> I'm like, I'm obsessed yeah, yeah. with this dog. Which is funny because I had a very adversary uh, adversarial relationship with dogs mm-hmm. earlier in life. I've been attacked by huge, yeah. mean dogs on a number of occasions and terrified and have, I'm sure, some degree of PTSD around them. But this mm-hmm. was kind of part of the healing journey. And mm-hmm. the, speaking of messages, like the message came through to me so strong. Someone sent me a picture of this specific yeah. dog, Cookie. And I, I swear to God, I looked at that picture and I went, I got to get that dog. That's my dog. She was looking at me in the eyes and just went, come save me. And I did. And it's been such a gift. And partially in what you were kind of getting into with the prospect of having kids, just as an opportunity to be slightly more selfless 
mm-hmm. and to be accountable to another entity, you know, to a degree and to really mm-hmm. express that love. So it's been fun. Um, speaking of expression, man, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been amazing. And uh, thank you again for your patience and arriving here at the assemblage this morning. And as we got settled, I think we ended up in the right place, though. It's, uh-huh. been, a, it's been a good environment and a really good uh, setting for us to do what we've done. Uh, where can people find you, websites, social medias, anything you'd like to promote that we can put in the show notes? Sure. I mean, my website is my name. It's paulselig.com, P-A-U-L-S-E-L-I-G. And I'm doing workshops all over the place. So there's a calendar of where the guides come through and teach. Um, the Book of Freedom's going to be out on November 6th. And um, that can be pre-ordered on, you know, through any bookseller. Um, and I do live streams on Wednesday nights. The guides are teaching and they're taking people's questions. So that's available too. So my website's the place to go for everything. Awesome, man. Thank you so much. And I noticed the places that you teach, like Esalon and these different spots are, are like the primo spots, Omega Institute mm-hmm. uh, here in New York. So I encourage our listeners to definitely come and check you out. Mm-hmm. And thank, thank you. you so much for joining me today. I appreciate it. I enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. Yep. If you're hanging in there by this time, I want to congratulate you. You know why? Because you just finished the first episode of the Lifestylist podcast in 2019. This is the New Year's Day show, man. This is a big one. And I hung on to this interview with Paul Selig because I wanted it to be a very special episode. And indeed, it was a great way to start the new year with some inspiration, man. Not only inspiration from just a really beautiful soul and a really kind, sweet, wise person, but inspiration also from some guides from somewhere else. I mean, what a better way to start the new year, taking some advice from another dimension. (laughs) Here's what we're going to do in 2019, say the guides. I'm into it. Uh, I learned a lot from Paul in this one, and uh, I'm going to have to listen back to this because when I did it, it was sort of, I don't know, it was a very surreal kind of energy in the room. And I was also being mindful of what was appropriate to ask him. And I would say I was tiptoeing around, but I... I was conscientious and wanted to be respectful of his gift, respectful of the guides, respectful of the experience. And I had a lot of notes that I had to kind of scratch out beforehand. And even a couple while we were going, I was like, mm, nah, I don't want to, not feeling that. And I forget, he might've even said like, I'm not answering that at some point. I don't remember. You'll know because you just listened to it, but very cool stuff. And, uh, you know, I just want to thank you so much for making 2018 such a great year. If you're a regular listener to the show, thank you so much and keep listening. And you can expect from me more shows like this. You know, I'm really leaning more toward the metaphysical over the physical because all the physical health stuff is important. And I'll, I'll cover a bit of that, but Honestly, the physical health stuff comes down to avoiding EMFs, avoiding blue light at night, eating a lot of seafood, watching the sunset, watching the sunrise, getting sun in your naked body, moving somewhere where there's a lot of sun and less EMF. Like there, problem solved. Eat whatever you want, basically. I mean, not whatever you want, you know, within confines. You don't want to eat toxins and stuff like that. But the health stuff for me is just getting so pared down and simple at this point. And What's most important, I think, for me in terms of my life mission is sharing the experience of spiritual awakening that I've had and that I continue to have with the audience. So there'll be more shows on relationships, sex, parenting, family, personal development, trauma, addictions, um, different modes of therapy, different things that help you with uh, mental health and all of this kind of stuff. So you can stay, um, you know, stay uh, tuned for for more of that. 
And then also speaking of staying tuned, next week's show, Sauna Secrets, turning up the heat with Lauren Berlingeri from Higher Dose. If you're from New York City, you know about Higher Dose. It's like the coolest sauna chain uh, in Manhattan. And uh, I sat down with Lauren in Manhattan, not strangely. And we talked all about the benefits of saunas and stuff. So make sure you subscribe to the show. And if you're feeling generous and you want to support what I'm doing here and keep this train on the tracks, if you could just share this episode with a couple friends, I think that's the most meaningful way that you can support the show. If you're someone that likes to buy health products and things that support your health, whether that be different supplements, biohacking technologies, EMF protection, grounding, stuff to help you with jet lag, travel, anything you can think of that you can buy to make yourself healthier, it's all available at lukestory.com forward slash store. So if you shop through my store, not in all cases, but in some cases, I get a small commission from some of the vendors. Uh, You'll know which ones I get commission on because they're also the ones that give you a discount. So it's a really cool thing that I've got worked out with a lot of different brands and also most of our advertisers, their stuff's available through the site as well. Uh, It's great because I get to really vet brands that I want to work with, stuff that I want to use in my own personal life. Once I believe in it and I've proven to myself or been proven to, um, it's been proven to be efficient, effective, um, cost effective, things like that. Then I throw it on the site and it makes it easy for you to go find stuff. So you don't have to go do the research yourself and waste your time reading freaking Amazon reviews on some herb or, or, you know, whatever. It's like, I do the research for you. I throw it on the site. And in many cases, you get a discount and I get a commission and the company gets a new customer. So it's a really, it's a really, um, a way to support the show that feels really good to me because all parties win equally. Um, but you probably win. Well, no, actually, I'd say the brands win the most because they, they get the money. You win second because you get healthier. I win third because I get like $5 if you buy something, but whatever. It all helps, you know. Um, I also want to celebrate hitting my goal of 2 million freaking downloads in 2018. We just made it under the wire by the end of the year. So um, you sharing the show with friends is really what made that possible. So keep subscribing to the show. Make sure you download every episode, even if you don't listen to them. That helps my ratings go up uh, in iTunes and just, um, you know, forward it to friends. And um, I really, really appreciate you listening. And I think that's all I got to say with the exception of thanking our sponsors. We got Juve. And uh, if you go to juve.com forward slash Luke, that's J-O-O-V-V, and enter the code Luke at checkout, you're going to get a free gift. Now, I don't even know what that gift is. I hope it's something cool. I love the guys over at Juve. So I'm thinking it's probably something usable. But Juve is uh, red light therapy. And let me tell you what, son, it's badass. I've got one sitting across um, for me as I speak right now, I swear to you. And I used it uh, this morning at about 7.30 a.m. after I did my morning sun gaze. And I'm going to do the same goddamn thing tomorrow morning. That's juve.com forward slash Luke. Next up, Beekeepers Naturals. Oh, man, the best bee products in the world. So go to beekeepersnaturals.com. Use the code LIFESTYLIST and save 15% off the most chronic, the cleanest, the most organic natural bee products in the world. I truly, truly believe they are the best bee products. In fact, when I'm done recording right now, I'm going to go in my kitchen right before I go to sleep and I'm going to have a little of their, I don't know what it's called. It's like, it's honey with, um, with uh, chocolate in it. It's like the most bomb ass, what do they call that stuff? Nutella, Nutella. Yeah. Tastes like that, but it helps you sleep if you put a little... Uh, glucose in the brain before you go to bed. 
your brain doesn't wake you up trying to get glucose. A little trick I learned from Dave Asprey a couple years ago, and it actually works. Uh, that's one of my favorite things from Beekeepers Naturals. And then uh, Alatura Naturals, that is, um, that's my buddy, Andy Nilo. And that's the stuff I put on my grill every day. And if you go to alaturanaturals.com, and enter the code LIFESTYLIST, you'll save 20% off and get free shipping in the U.S. on the best natural skincare products. I'm out of their night cream right now, which makes me really bummed because I feel like I'm aging like a MF without it. I'm going to get those damn crow's feet without my stuff. Uh, but I definitely have their uh, face lotion. I use that every single morning. And then when I feel like it and I have the energy, I do their clay mask. So they have a whole suite of products over at alaturanaturals.com. Code is Lifestylist and you save 20%. Pretty sweet deal. All right, y'all. We made it, man. We survived 2018. God damn, what a year. Christ. Fun, exciting, busy, productive, challenging. Like everything you'd want out of a year was 2018. But to be honest, I'm like, peace out, bitch. I'm done. I'm done with 2018. Ready to move on. 2019 is where it's at. It's what's up. I'm really excited. I don't want to let the cat out of the bag, but I have some very cool projects coming up this year. And, oh man, I'm just excited to meet more of you and um, interact more with the listeners and just going to be doing a lot of stuff a little more in the spiritual realm. And I'm super excited about that. So thanks again for listening. Thank you for joining me on this coming year's journey. Please, as I said, continue to share this show and everyone to follow with a friend. This episode of the Lifestylist Podcast was produced by podcastmasters.net.